Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. My name is Doug, and we are live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, talking to people all around the world, it looks like. A special good morning to, is it Luyanda? Is that the correct way to say that? In South Africa. Glad you could join us, as well as Mark and Keith and Alan, who has plenty of coffee, it looks like. <laughs> Love that. You are a man after my own heart. Well, welcome. We are continuing to work our way through Romans 9, 10, and 11, asking the question, what about Israel? Uh, because that is an important question in the scripture, and that is a dividing line among Christians, it seems, and has been for a long time, uh, trying to figure out what does the Bible say about the future of ethnic Israel, geopolitical Israel, are the Jews, the, uh, are they still the chosen people of God, and so on. So this uh, section of Romans is a significant uh, passage that uh, answers some of those questions. So that's why we are walking through it. We're going slowly. I'm going to slow down a little bit even more and uh, end on time today. <laughs> In the last couple days have uh, extended over longer than I typically like, although none of you seem to be complaining. So uh, maybe I won't be a slave to the clock. But anyway, I'm going to try to keep this to about a half hour. One quick reminder, it's not too late to sign up for our Old Testament Prophets class at the New Covenant School of Theology. It's an online uh, school. If you go to newcovenantschooloftheology.org and click apply and fill out a brief application there, we will get back to you and see if you want to join us for that course coming up starting Monday night at uh, 530 Colorado time, 5.30 p.m., so uh, Luyanda, you'll have to let us know what time would that be, uh, that's about uh, 10, yeah, okay, it's probably the middle of the night for you, huh? Anyway, glad that uh, glad that you're all with us. Okay, so chapter 9, verse 30 is where we left off last night, Romans 9.30, or yesterday, should say, and Paul asks this question, this rhetorical question, what shall we say then? Therefore, what will we say? And that is a, a rhetorical statement based on what he has been saying. So let's go back and just remind ourselves. He started off, remember, saying, the word of God has not failed. And if you've been with us, you have, you've seen that we have walked through big sections of Isaiah where God predicted what would be true of Israel. And he has kept his word just as he said he would with respect to the Jews. And he has done what he has always done. He's consistent. The, the word of God has not failed. God chose Abraham out of all of the human beings on planet Earth at the time. He chose Abraham to bless him. To say, you, Abraham, you are going to be the father of many nations. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then Abraham had two sons, and God said the word of promise is given to Sarah's son, Isaac, not to Ishmael. So he's, he's choosing Isaac over Ishmael. So of the, of the offspring of Abraham, one of them, Isaac, was the child of promise. And then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And God chose Jacob to be the recipient of his blessing. So of the offspring of, of Isaac... Uh, some were vessels of, of mercy to anticipate where he's going to go on, right? Then Jacob had 12 sons, and he picked those to be the nation of Israel. But within that nation, some of them were chosen to be vessels of mercy 
The others were vessels of wrath. And this is not an abstract, arbitrary wrath. They deserved it. They earned it from the very beginning of their uh, call as a nation out of Egypt. They were idolaters, and they remained idolaters for the most part all the way up to the time of Christ. Uh, they were wicked. They were self-righteous. They were, they were, it, was, it, was just, it was just bad. And all of those people who were descendants of Israel, God chose some, the remnant, to be the, uh, the, the, the vessels of mercy. The rest received his wrath. And then he's been quoting from Hosea and Isaiah. Uh, to show this. And, God, and Paul says, then what, what shall we say? Here's his conclusion. That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, they attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. So Gentiles, for instance, the Roman church that he's writing to, these were Gentiles. These were not Jews. They weren't descendants of Jacob. Right? They were pagans. They were heathen. And they were not pursuing righteousness. They were not seeking God, saying, God, show us the way to be right with you. They didn't know the one true God. They didn't worship the true God, the Holy One of Israel. They worshiped false gods and numerous gods. And they were trying to be right with those gods in the sense of appease them and offer their sacrifices and so on to, to get what they wanted from those gods. But they weren't seeking true righteousness from the one true God. That's not what the, the Romans were after. And Paul says here, they attained righteousness. And this would be you and me as well, right? We're Gentiles in this context. We weren't pursuing righteousness, but we arrived at righteousness in contrast to the Jews. And then Paul specifies the righteousness, which is by faith. That's not only an, an abstract doctrinal statement about justification by faith. It, it includes that, but it fits the context, as I will show you. So these, these Romans that he's writing to and other Gentiles, and remember Paul went all through the Mediterranean region in the early days and, and in Ephesus and Galatia and Philippi and Macedonia, all these places preaching to these these pagans, these, these non-Jews, and many of them believed and attained to, arrived at this righteousness that comes by belief. But Israel, in contrast to those Gentiles, Israel, now notice how he phrases it here, pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at that law. It's a very important and subtle, nuanced statement Paul is making here. Israel was also not pursuing righteousness. So the Gentiles, he says here in verse 30, they did not pursue righteousness. Israel also did not pursue righteousness. Do you see it? Do you see the distinction? Somebody tell me in the comments, do you see the distinction that Paul's making here? The Gentiles did not pursue righteousness. The Israelites also did not pursue righteousness. I know there's a 10-second delay, so I'm going to stall here. I always want to tell a joke or something to <laughs> give you time to, to get your answers down. Do you see what was it that Israel was pursuing? 
not righteousness, but something else. For those of you listening to this on a podcast, I'm going to read it again so you can be thinking, well, somebody, I know somebody's going to get the answer here. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. According to Paul, what were the Jews pursuing? All right, time's up. So whether you just, I'm sure some of you know it, it's just I'm sure there's a delay here. He says Israel pursued a law of righteousness. Emphasis on law. Yeah, Dale got it. Do you see the distinction there? It looks like some other works. Yes, you guys are all dancing around it. Exactly. Do you see the distinction? Very important distinction. Paul is saying this is what the Jews were after. It wasn't righteousness. It was law, a law of righteousness. Let me, uh, he already set us up for this. Let me get back here. and I want to show you again something that he said earlier uh, in chapter two. He's, he's, he's already stated this, um, but he kind of is, is anticipating where he's going to go here way back in chapter two. For all who sinned without the law, that's Gentiles, will perish without the law. All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law, for it's not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law, right? So he's setting up, just because you have the law does not mean you're just before God. You got to keep it if you're going to be justified by the law. And then it says, but if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of immature of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You see, this was the mindset of the Jew. We have the law, therefore we're smart. We're superior to those pagans. We know how to guide the blind. We know how to shine the light in darkness. We know how to correct the foolish and teach the immature because we have this law. And in this law is the embodiment of knowledge and of truth. And the great thing missing there is righteousness. Their zeal was not to be righteous, which is what matters. Their zeal was the law. It's kind of like, you know, I, I counsel uh, men all the time who married men to to cherish their wives. It's one of the things we see in Ephesians 5, right? To cherish their wives. And we talk about various means of doing that. And taking your wife out on dates is one of those, one of those ways. And so we talk about what makes a great date for a woman and how, you know, plan, give some forethought to it and pay attention to what she likes and that kind of thing. And there are some men who kind of shift into this pursuing the date idea. And they get wrapped up in all the details to the exclusion of the real goal, which is cherishing their wife. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and yeah, we talk about how you can't just cherish your wife in thought. You actually have to put in the work to do it. But the means are the means to the end. And if you forget the goal, if you forget the end, then and you get so wrapped up and take pride in the means that you can put together what you think is a perfect date and check all the boxes. Say, look, I'm a great husband and forget that the goal is cherishing your wife. And if you're not cherishing your wife, 
you're not accomplishing your mission simply because you do all the things right. You get what I'm saying? Let me let me bring this closer to home for all of us. Sometimes in our study of the word of God, we pursue study rather than learning. You know what I mean? We can read our daily devotionals. We can set aside time every day to read and we check the box. Whoo, I'm good. I did it. I studied. The goal is not study. Whether it's five minutes or five hours a day that you spend, the goal is never study. The goal is to learn, to know the scripture, not to study it. Do you see the distinction? And we can tell ourselves, we can, we can take great confidence and pride in our study and never learn. Paul talks about this. He says, there are women, he calls them weak women who are easily dis- distracted and, and led astray by false teachers. These women who are always learning and never coming to the truth. It's the, it's the same kind of idea. They're always learning in the sense that they're studying. They're always getting new stuff in their head, but they're never actually landing on truth, which is what it's all about. Well, that's what's happening with the Jews, he says. They pursued a law of righteousness. They, the, the pursuit was the law rather than the righteousness that would be theirs if they kept the law. And guess what? They didn't arrive at the law. They couldn't keep it. Why? Why didn't they arrive at the righteousness? Because they didn't pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. All their attention was on the works, which they failed at, and they could never come to righteousness because righteousness is by faith. Now, this is not abstract. Again, this is he's, he's going somewhere biblically here. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, quote, from Isaiah, two places in Isaiah here. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. All right, so there are two uh, Isaiah passages here that he's quoting. We looked at one of them yesterday. We're going to look at both of them quickly today. We're not going to spend as much time as we have been. But one of them is Isaiah 8. And so here's, here's Isaiah 8. We'll catch a little bit of the context. So the Lord spoke to Isaiah, the Lord spoke to me, he says further saying, Inasmuch as these people have rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoice in resin and the son of Ramalia, and if you go back in, to read chapter 7, you'll catch even more of the context. Uh, these leaders here uh, in the north, and we're not going to spend the time, but he's, he's referring to, uh, to some of the things he said earlier. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord is about to bring on them the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates. Now, just put a little mark in your mind there for a minute. These waters of the Euphrates, the like the riverbanks are going to overflow. Okay? And then he explains what he's talking about. The king of Assyria and all his glory. So he's describing Assyria coming down wiping out the northern kingdom, Israel, and it's going to be like the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates River. It will rise up up over all its channels and go over its banks. So imagine a great flood coming from a river. That's what Assyria is going to do to the northern kingdom. 
Then it will sweep on into Judah and will overflow and pass through, and it will reach even to the neck. Right? The waters are going to rise so much that people are going to be close to drowning. And the spread of its wings, now he's changing metaphors, <laughs> will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Isn't that interesting? We already met Emmanuel back in chapter 7. We now know what that's referring to or who that's referring to. Be broken, O peoples, and be shattered, and give ear all remote places of the earth. Gird yourselves, yet be shattered. Gird yourselves, yet be shattered. Devise a plan, but it will be thwarted. State a proposal, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people. He says, Isaiah, do not listen to the nation of Israel. Here's what they're saying. It's a conspiracy. He says to Isaiah, you don't say that. Do not say it's a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. And you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. Who should you dread? Fear the Lord. Do not fear all the stories of the people. Right? That's what he says. It is the Lord of hosts whom you shall regard as holy. He shall be your fear. He shall be your dread. By the way, this is probably good news. Good, good thing for all of us today to pay attention to. Do not say it is a conspiracy in regard to all that the people say, all that they call a conspiracy. Now, I know what some of you are saying right now. It's not a conspiracy if it's true. (laughs) And that's true too. But don't fear what's going on in our world. Be aware of it. Don't be naive, but don't walk in fear. Walk in joy. Walk in trust. The Lord Jesus Christ is sitting on his throne today. He's reigning over Russia and Ukraine. He's reigning over the U.S. and China. Don't get sucked into the fear-mongering and the conspiracy theories of our world. Who do we fear? We fear Jesus because he's in charge. All right, back to the text. Fear the Lord. He shall be your fear and your dread. Then he shall become a sanctuary. He will be the temple. The building you meet in on Sunday morning, that is not a sanctuary. Jesus, the Lord, is the sanctuary. He's the safe place. He's the sacred space. So the Lord will become a sanctuary, but to both the houses of Israel, the Lord will be what? A stone to strike and a rock to stumble over and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over them. They will fall and be broken. They will even be snared and caught. Do you see what Isaiah is predicting here or what the Lord is predicting through Isaiah? The, the storm is cl- coming, the, the river and overflowing its banks, it's all coming. There's going to be a lot of people trying to stir up Israel and Jerusalem in more fear. And the Lord says, don't fear them, fear me. And the Lord will become your sacred space, your temple, your holy area. But to these houses of Israel, and he says both houses, that's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah, the Lord is going to become a stone, a rock. And they're going to strike the rock. And they're going to trip over the rock. And he's going to become a snare and a trap. Do you see what's happening here? 700 years before the coming of Christ, 
God is explaining what's going to happen. He's going to become the temple. Remember Jesus saying this? Go ahead and tear down this temple, meaning his own body, and I'll raise it up in three days. I am the temple, God says. And, the, and, the, and John, for instance, draws that analogy. Oh, Jesus is the temple. He's the new meeting place between God and man. He's the new sacred space. And then those of us who are in Christ, we are the temple now in the new covenant. Okay, getting ahead of the story. <laughs> but Jesus is, the, is this rock. Now, now, hang on, okay? Just stay with me here. There's several layers. The storm is coming. The, the overflow of the river, the waters are coming. And there's a rock that the house of Israel are going to trip over. Okay, lock that in. Now, let's go to chapter 28 and pick up some of where we left off yesterday. Uh, I want to back up to... Uh, go back here just a little bit. Just talk amongst yourselves for a minute. Tell a little joke or something. Uh, here we go. Okay, back to chapter 28, verse 1. Again, we looked at this in detail yesterday, so if you missed it, you want to go back and look at that one. But let me just catch a few things here. Uh, he says, Woe to the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is at the head of the fertile valley. Uh, how does a valley become fertile? Well, it's got the, the waters, right? It's got the waters flowing down from the mountains and the stream. So this area is very, very fertile. He says, Behold, the Lord has a strong and mighty agent. He's going to bring a, a, a power, a strong and mighty power to destroy the land. And notice the imagery. As a storm of hail, a tempest. Do you see how those are both water, storm, almost gale-like images? You see that? Hail, thunderstorm, uh, vast winds and water pouring on tempest. Are you catching the water references here? Like a storm of mighty overflowing waters, he has cast it down to the earth with his hand. He's going to wipe out the kingdom of Israel with this rush of, uh, of hurricane, tornado, water kind of thing. And he goes on and rebukes them. We looked at this uh, in detail yesterday. Therefore, Hear the word of the Lord, O scoffers, who rule this people who are in Jerusalem, because you've said, we've made a covenant with death, and with Sheol have made a pact. The overwhelming scourge, this flood, this tempest, the hail that the Lord is bringing, it will not reach us when it passes by, for we have made falsehood our refuge. We've, we have concealed ourselves with deception. So they're going to stand through the storm, he says. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am laying in Zion a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes will not be disturbed, will not be in a hurry. Okay, so put on your thinking caps here. What do we do with the cornerstone? See the imagery? I'm going to lay this stone in Zion. He's going to be a cornerstone of the foundation that's going to build a house. Right? That's what a cornerstone was. 
uh, and that day you 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 lay, you took this this one stone and you put it, and then the rest of the the foundation was laid based on that stone. That set set the trajectory of everything. So it was the most important part of building in that day, building with stone. You lay this cornerstone that sets how far uh, and which direction the other stones are going to be laid to lay the full foundation. And then you want to build the, the, the rest of the building on top of that, that strong foundation. So God says, in the midst of this storm, in the midst of the tempest that's coming, I'm going to put in Zion this stone, and it's going to be a foundation firmly placed, and everyone who believes will not be disturbed. Here's what the Jews should have done as they poured over this statement from Isaiah for centuries. For centuries, for 700 years, as they, as they studied this, this prophecy, they should have been asking the question, what's this stone he's talking about? There's a storm coming. But he says, He's going he's gonna to place this stone, this, this rock firmly there. And, and it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sound cornerstone to build something. And the one who believes, and if you notice here in Isaiah, in it is in italics. That's not actually in the Hebrew. He who believes in this stone, in this foundation, will not be disturbed will not be wiped out by the storm that's coming. Will not be in a hurry because they're resting on the rock. Notice what he says here, verse 17, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the level. So if you're building, these two parameters matter. The measuring line here is the plumb line. Now, I haven't done a lot of this, but I've done a little, and probably you, some of you have done this way more than I have. But the plumb line, right, has to do with the, the vertical uprightness, uh, and you, you drop a, a weighted line to, to help line up your, your other stones in this case, or, or lumber, your, your um, um, what's the word, the framing. So you want, you want everything straight, both vertically and horizontally. You get that. You don't want a building that's leaning, right? You don't want the foundation to be to be unlevel, because that means the whole house is unlevel. You want the foundation to be level, and then there you get to build on top of it and have level uh, layers all the way up, and then you want everything vertically to be straight up and down so you don't have it leaning one way or the other. He says, I, I've got this stone that's going to be the foundation. I will make justice the measuring line, the plumb line, the, the, up, the vertical, and righteousness the level. Then hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and the waters will overflow the secret place. You see what he's saying? The storm is coming. The raging justice and wrath of God is coming. But I'm going to put in Zion this foundation, and then justice and righteousness will make sure it is it is straight and level and upright. And then when the storm comes, everyone who believes will stand firm against the storm. Does that remind you of anything in the New Testament? Remember these words of Jesus on the what we call the Sermon on the Mount? 
Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Yes, Keith, you are exactly right. It's Jesus. Do you think Jesus just grabbed these words because he just had some metaphor in his mind? No. We miss so much in the New Testament because we don't know the Old Testament. Jesus is not just grabbing a helpful image. He is drawing from Isaiah 8 and 28. I'm the rock, he says. The storm is coming. Listen to these words of mine and build your house, the righteous level house and the just plumbed house. Build it on my words. I'm the rock. And then when the storm comes, you'll stand firm. He's talking to Jews. Now, there's application for us as well, but his original audience is Jews. He's talking to Jews saying, I'm the, the, the stone laid in Zion. Don't triple, trip over me. Don't stumble over me. Instead, build on me. And when the fury comes and it's coming, you'll stand. Janice, I don't know if you're with us this morning, Janice, but yesterday she was with us and she said, does this allude to the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD and the destruction of the city? Yes, it does. And we're going to see this in chapter 11 as well. So what about the, the Jews who don't build on Christ? Well, he has words for them as well. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Jesus came. He was preached to the Jews. He presented himself to the Jews. Most of them did not believe, and the, they didn't build their house on the rock. And when the storm came, they were destroyed. They pursued a law rather than righteousness. And they were destroyed. This is what Paul's getting at in Romans 9. Why did they not arrive at that law? Because they didn't pursue righteousness by faith, but as though by works, they stumbled over the stumbling, stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And he who believes, and now Paul quotes from the Septuagint, which is, again, the Old Testament version that he had. It's the Greek translation, and it's different. And that's an interesting discussion for another time here. But the writers, uh, the translators rather of the Old Testament decided that this was talking about a person and they translated it, he who believes in him. And that's what Paul grabs. He who believes in him, the, the, the rock, will not be disappointed. Will stand firm when the storm comes. Oh, there's so much more here, but I said I'm going to keep it to time. So let me, uh, let me check out your comments. And then we will, whoops, call it a, call it a day here. 
let's see. You guys got it right. Lon says, he who believes in him will not be disturbed. What wonderful assurance. Reminds me of the song my grandmother used to play and sing to me. Uh, which song is that? Is that Blessed Assurance? Uh, be curious. Genesis says she's listening. That's good. Glad you're with us. So do you see, I'm trying to kind of trying to do two things here. One is, of course, I want us to see what Romans is all about. That's what, that's why we're doing the study. But secondly, to help us learn how to use the Old Testament and how to study the New Testament. Oh, your, your grasp of these things will be so greatly enhanced. If whenever the Bible quotes the new, the Old Testament, you go back and read it and look at it and and just continue to read, especially the prophets, but but the whole Old Testament, and thinking, how does this point to Christ? What does this look at? Look forward to Christ? And then as you read the New Testament, say, is there an allusion here to something in the Old? Because so often there is. All right. So uh, Lon says, building your house on the rock. Uh, the wise man built his house upon the rock. That one? My mom used to sing that one to me. Okay, so we're going to call it a day here. Uh, if you want to get ahead, keep reading through Romans chapters 10 and he's going to quote the Old Testament uh, many times here. The next section is pretty, it's pretty heavy sledding. He's going to go back to Deuteronomy 30. If you really want to prepare for this, read Deuteronomy 28, which is some of the most sobering. Um, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It, it, is, it is hard reading, not hard to understand, but Deuteronomy 28 is where God lays out the curses of the old covenant. Read it imagining that you were a Jew under that covenant and really go slowly and read the curses for Jews under that covenant. That's Deuteronomy 28. And then read Deuteronomy 29 and then chapter 30. And then read what Paul says here in chapter 10 of Romans, especially the first 12 verses here, and see if you can figure out what he's saying. It's, it's, it's pretty challenging. It's pretty hard, but we're going to make our way through it. So if you want to get ahead, take some time to do that. Have a great Wednesday in the Lord. The Lord made this day. Rejoice in it. You have built your house on the rock so the storm won't wipe you away. God bless everyone. We'll see you tomorrow.